to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And this episode is with Pete Shand of the new Master Sounds. A wonderful bass player with an amazing story. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but first we'd like to talk about... Are you being kept up at night wondering about what other Osiris podcasts are out there to check out? Now you can finally rest. We're going to tell you about another Osiris podcast now. You can listen to all of our shows at OsirisPod.com. I'm Richard Z. Rastafarian from Fear of a Craft Beer Planet, a podcast that talks a lot about the parallels between the beer industry and the music business. But really, we talk about whatever we want. The show is made up of four of us. Me, Richard Z. Rastafarian, the radio guy, Jay Rose, Ryan Egan, and Rob Forzik. They're the beer guys. They're the ones that teach me about craft beer, and I'm the one that gets the show on the air. You can find us on all social media platforms at Fear of a Craft Beer Planet. Yes, you beer enthusiasts like my friend Spike out in Athens, who I was just with last week, who's the head brewer at Terrapin Brewery, who's flown all around the world to do special brews. You people should listen to the show. Spike should be a guest on that show, Fear of a Craft Beer Planet. Don't you think, Seth? I do. And also, I think you should check out all the shows on Osiris, which, by the way, they just released the... Well, yeah, so by the time you listen to this, they have the... 
After Midnight is out. The first After Midnight is out. Yeah. Which well, is um, Jesse Jarno hosted a summary of the Big Cypress thing. Kind of neat. It's brought back some memories. Getting raves all over the internet. Raves. Uh, also, you have uh, Steve Silberman has sat down with David Crosby last weekend, and they have begun recording their new program, which is coming in January, which should be fantastic. For those of you that are podcast listeners and not just here for the first time, check out Osiris Podcast Network. There's a lot of different podcasts to choose from, and now what they're doing is creating these specialty shows. Uh, so lots of new programming coming out in this new year. Jam just happened. Tickets are available. This is going to be a live music performance. It's the first week in December. I don't have the date right in front of me. Go to OsirisPod.com for more information on that. That's if, Scott Metzger, right? Is he involved with that one? Yeah, I mean, Aaron Magner of the Disco Biscuits is uh, part of the initial version, and... Uh, I love programs with exclusive music. Like, you know me, Seth. I'm listening to uh, Live From Here Oh yeah, on NPR every weekend, although I didn't get to last weekend because I was researching for the interview we're going to conduct later today. But why don't we get into that? This Because this, it kind of plays into this, because this day, this interview... Go ahead. Before we even get to the interview, can oh, we give yes, a big our, thank you to... Our boy Robert Polay and the folks at Polay Clark. Polay Clark for your financial needs. I haven't seen Robert in a while. I miss him. Let's do lunch. I would like to do. I mean, I know yeah, let's do dinner. Hey, Polay, let's do dinner. You, me, and uh, the turder. And after this weekend, though, I got this w- wedding thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to see Bob Dylan, tov. though. Mazel tov. I'm going to see my one Bob Dylan show, and it's going to be at the Met, the same place that Fish is playing their big show. The Met? Yes, in Philadelphia. Thursday. It, isn't it interesting that Jefferson Waffle met his wife? At the Met. That is the wedding we're going to. I predicted that, by the way. I said if you move to Philly, you'll, move, you'll meet your wife shortly after you you uh move there although Which, he didn't know her though right they had met before but that they she was dating someone else and then that well you know jefferson waffles his a former guest on our show for our new listeners also uh was a lighting designer for the bands uh mo for several years and also umphrey's mcgee most prominently and he's a lady magnet and he's magnetized to a great one congratulations brooke and mazel tov so about this episode we're listening to right now that we're gearing up for uh i want everyone our listeners to know that rob went solo on this one now see we interviewed eddie before and we interviewed simon simon before and rob got their names wrong but anyways that's besides the point so rob went solo on this one i was oh, out of way, town what i was trying to remember what you're talking about yeah way back i used to confuse eddie and simon but i was a fan of the band for years yeah, i can't believe they've been together for 20 something years yeah it's right around 20 it's a 20th anniversary and as i Excuse me, as I mentioned in this interview, this this CD, Shake It, Shake It, is a new direction for them as they're in their 20th anniversary, and that's always a good sign. Of and I want to talk about that, or do you talk about that with Pete? Sure, but Lamar Williams, who's who's an Atlanta fella, he is a big part of this. He sings lead on almost every track, and um, it's a different approach for them. Instead of Eddie bringing the music, you you have, uh, well, we hear about it in the interview, but they definitely have a different approach to the songwriting for this record. Well, there's there's more lyrics. Right, but the the genesis of the music is coming from Pete, actually over in England. And well, well, right. So without getting too too into it, I want to just set up our listeners so they know that Rob went and did this interview solo. We every time we interviewed new master sounds or talked about them, Rob's been saying he wants to do the Pete interview, and especially after uh, Pete's health crisis, if you will, a year ago, that really you just were like. You need to talk with them, and and so they were coming through town. I was I was away doing something. I think an auction somewhere, and as your auctioneer and Rob. Well, here's uh, what happened. On it, solo. Was, it was one of those days where it flip flopped. Uh, initially, it seemed like Pete was going to have plenty of time, 
and that Mark Brown scene of the Disco Biscuits who was there with Star Kitchen wasn't. But then Mark ended up flying in earlier than he had said, and the new Master Sounds for whatever arrived later. So I ended up not only – I hung with Mark at the West Egg Cafe for dinner, then we sat down and Mark and I had a nice long chat that will be released the first week of December. By the way, in between the two Mark Brown scene episodes, we're about to interview Mike Watt. Woohoo! Probably will be a tweener. Hey, will it be longer than a minute, man? Um – Yes, but it will. <laughs> and it will have a lot of twists and turns in a two-minute interview. No, but we're really excited and looking forward to that. I'm actually a little nervous. We're literally, right after we cut the segments, we're getting on Skype and talking to Mike Watt, legendary bassist who's played with everybody from Iggy Pop to Eddie Vedder to Nels Klein. Uh, it'll be a good interview, folks. But um, so on this day, so new Master Sounds were running out of time. It was They were really squeezed, and I had already done the Mark interview, but I just I wanted I wanted to get with Pete and and – so it's not as long as I would have liked, but we sat up in our old loft. Uh, we actually got dark. It was kind of like the Grateful Dead Eugene video, where by the end of it we were sitting in the dark because we just didn't. We, we I brought him up there. And we wanted to get hit the ground running. The doors were about to open for the show. I think the doors were open for the show by the time we walked down. So really went to bat for you listeners. Really wanted to get this. We don't get the new master sounds enough, so I wanted to grab them. Well, thanks for doing that. Hated missing it, but, you know, hence is life. Shake It is the new CD. It's very much worth your time. They're a great band. Um, you want to go to newmastersounds.com. They've got a New Year's run coming, Seth. You'll, you'll like this. It starts in California, moves to Nevada, and ends up in New York. That's a, <laughs> that's a hard-working band New Year's run. <laughs> well, it's kind of like Railroad Earth doing the Denver to Atlanta, but... Right, and also our boys, the Motet, uh, like to do the adventurous New Year's, uh, the globe-skipping New Year's runs. Yes. Uh, oh, well, they, not just do they do that, but then Dave Watts ends up flying into Chicago, you know, in between for a night. Oh, man. Um, I thought of Dave Watts when Humphreys did Bomb Track, because the previous time I had seen them do Bomb Track, Dave Watts had been on drums. So, uh, By the way, Japan also. There's only two Japan dates. I, I would imagine if you're going all the way to Japan, wouldn't you add more than two dates? But they're taking Lamar with them to Japan. Wow. Club, Club Quattro in Tokyo and the Shangri-La, which I've heard of in Osaka. And I've been to both these cities, and they're crowded cities. When were you in Japan? Uh, my father was on a t- lecture tour, and he had me do the slides so that you know I got paid to... That's how. That's where you got your AV. Uh, because Rob sometimes tells me, he's like, no, I'm really good at an AV stuff. Just at one time, right there. That was it. <laughs> no, I've done the slides for my dad a lot back in the day, and he we had a good kismet, and he had a, a different approach that you probably couldn't do. He had some little twists and turns in his slides thing that you probably couldn't do today. Then I'll, uh-huh. then I'll just leave like that. Okay, okay. He was a very unique guy. Do you Shall mind we? if I make a quick plug? Abs- please do. Seth. You know, I never do this. One quick thing. Seth has been working really, really hard lately. It's frustrating and annoying to me because I kind of have to – Drop everything the second he's available to do this podcast stuff. But uh, you really are pretty busy these days. Trying. Getting my skills set. And that's what I want to tell you all, folks, our listeners here. Your Rock Chenier. Uh, if you haven't been to the website, please go to yourrockchenier.com. Y-O-U-R-R-O-C-K-T-I-O-N-E-E-R.com. There's a video up there, a demo video of... Me doing what I do as an auctioneer, a benefit auctioneer specialist. And just want to let you know, if you sit on a board 
If you know someone that sits on a board, if you do fundraising for your organization, contact me. I'm booking out my spring right now, and dates are getting filled. I picked up uh, about six schools here in Atlanta, uh, and, well, the calendar's just getting getting filled is the bottom line, and I'm here for you. It's not just coming up on stage and doing an auction. It's the cons- consultation. I'm going to walk you through the consultation. Ah. Yes, I almost messed that word up. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for catching me on my stumble. But I'm here for you all. That's why I'm your Rocktioneer, yourrocktioneer.com. Check it out. Contact me. I'd be more than happy to help your event be very, very successful and raise money like you've never seen. N-U-C-I.org. Nucci Space, Athens, Georgia. Please look into it. Get the the contest. Nucci the Nucci Space contest is almost over. There's some like one week left or so. No, you have till December twelfth. Nucci's pass where you it's a raffle. You enter money. Right, so you got three weeks. But the raffle's about to end. You got three weeks to get your uh, raffle tickets for it. And the winner is going to get like there's a, a a year of being on the guest list of house all. list for like twenty five venues in Atlanta and mostly Athens. Yeah, it's it's mainly in Atlanta Athens thing, but we want to put it in there because they're raising money for. For Nucci Space, which is a, a musician's resource center where musicians can call in whether or not they have insurance and ask for help. And Leslie and the folks down there will help them out. And um, it's just such an important, vital organization that I, I feel compelled. I'm, hope, I'm hoping personally to be doing more stuff with them. I'm already hanging posters for them. How about that, Seth? Yeah, well, hopefully you're calling them because you need therapy. Oh, yes. You're, 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 you're on to that one, Seth. Oh, you know. Uh, well, let's let's get on with the show, shall we? Thank you for the plug. Thank you for bringing up Nucci's. And now, without further ado... I have a therapist with paws. What? I have a therapist. Uh-huh. She has a snout and paws and likes to... Oh, with paws. I thought like you meant like she like always... Well, it's kind of double meaning. between everything that she says. How are you feeling? See how I have are you the paws. excited for this Pete? Chand interview? I am, and I hope our listeners are. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, live from the recording of Rob at Terminal West, it's Pete Chand. Spending all my time thinking back when, and I'm gonna put things right, no mistakes again. It is so appropriate that we're sitting here in Atlanta yes, sir. with Pete Shand. Amazing that you're in your 20th anniversary as a band, you put out a record that completely Indeed. is different from anything else you've put out. Yeah. 
And the man who's in large part responsible for that is Lamar Williams Jr., which I believe you met in this room about a year ago. Just a year ago, yeah. And he was just um, singing a couple of tunes with us. And I remember saying to him after, I said, you know what, man, it'd be really good at some point in the future if we could get down on some stuff. Because he's such a natural singer. And I think um, because... Also, which I quite liked, is a very tuneful singer. As we could, most people, because we're quite an aggressive four-piece, as you know, funk four-piece. Hell yeah. And normally you'd think, we've got to get a James Brown sounding guy to shout over the top of everything. No, this guy's come with a different angle. And he's made us all get a bit more dynamic with the vocal album. And it's, uh, it's lovely. We like, we like doing it as well. It's great for us, too. Were some of these songs composed right away after meeting him the same night in Atlanta? No, 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 no. The, these tunes were more or less put together the same week that we recorded them, which was, I think it was January or February or something like that. It wasn't so long ago. But, but uh, previous to Renewable Energy, generally Eddie would bring songs and he'd work them out. But I know you yeah. brought Stash in. Oh, for that, for Renewable Energy? Right. I'm yeah. just wondering about your songwriting process in general, how it's changed and how this fits the new method right versus on. the old. Well, it's changed quite a bit, actually, because on this particular, the new record... Shake I w- it. Yeah, I would say musically, I would say me and Joe are the main writers musically oh, right. on the record. So normally, Ed is the main writer, but he's, he's got so much other stuff going on. He's writing so much music for other people anyway, with Color Red, and he's producing all that stuff. Matador. Matador as well, all that stuff. And this album came in. I mean, I was writing stuff for that at home in Spain, just in my little room at home, knowing that it was going to see the light of day once we got into the studio with Le Mans, and it did. It just came on fire straight away. So then he, but, he takes the, he, you gave him the music, and he yes, sir. Yeah, put we, the lyrics to it. Yeah. I, he wrote the lyrics a lot with Joe as well. Joe, our home, the keyboard player, Joe Tatton. He's done a lot of the writing, lyrical writing with um, Lamar. Yeah. Too Late to Worry starts like this happy-go-lucky thing, and then by the end, it is haunting. <laughs> what are we too, what did we miss out on? What are we too late on telling someone we love something before it's, we lost them? It, it does come from there, actually. Yeah, it's, it's um, well, I mean, the thing is, when you write stuff like that, that are quite poignant with lines, you know, that you can understand quite wrenching. Everybody makes their own reason, once they hear it, everybody's got their own reason why they like that song. And that lyric will appertain to somebody in different ways, I guess. But I mean, it is basically like what you're saying, you know, it's coming from that, you know, everybody tries, don't they? We keep trying, the guys keep trying, and then, I mean, sometimes it's just not going to work out. You know what I mean? And most of the time it does, I guess. But yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for me, I can't say, I I don't want to let that loose, but... Yeah. And let's go back where it kind of is the ethos of this. Which is, go ahead. The, which is the similar situation. Okay. It's like, um, and also it's kind of like, you know, when you, f- I mean, guys are guys. When I, when I, for my situation, when I meet somebody, like there's a period where everything's so fresh and nice and in a relationship type of thing. And it's like, you just can't beat it. Nothing can go wrong ever. But ultimately, I know I sound like a bit low, but ultimately it does start to peter off. And you've got to put a bit more effort in to keep it steady, you know. But it's like, I want, you want to go back to that time when it was just this, nothing can go wrong. Chasing the relationship dragon. <laughs> hey, you know what? I quite like that. Isn't that a song for the next record? Well, I like that, yeah. What other songs um, are, are you most proud of? Or what, when did he surprise you? Did, the, did uh, any of them take on a different shape because of his lyrical approach? That Kings, and, Kings and Queens did. Okay. Yeah, because I brought the music in for that. And I was, I had... Um, I was, I'd been in, doing some stuff with Bernard Purdy, and he was at the he was at the, he'd been to the the funeral from, um, you know, Art. No, where before? Uh, Aretha uh, Franklin. Oh. Yeah, and he'd said that oh the church was so kind of happy, but it was a bit low, and and I, I you know and I spoke to him for about twenty minutes, and then I just got my stuff on and I started. Com- I used one of his drum loops that I'd, from a record I'd made with him, 
to write the song, wow. the music. Oh. But I didn't know it was going to be Kings and Queens or anything like that. It was just this kind of groove that it, he inspired me to write. And I did all the chords of everything, which I don't normally do, but for this particular song, I did all the chords on the bass so that these guys could trans play it on their in respective instruments. So I brought the whole thing in. And then with the songwriting on the top, I can't, it's kind of my favorite, I'd say it was my favorite song on the record. I can't, it's not just because I did the music, but I really do like the song as well, the Kings and the whole thing. Kings like James Brown, Queens but, like Aretha Franklin. You know what? Well, that's the way I was. I, it felt like that to me as soon as it came out. And Simon, wow. I think Simon might have been a big part of the uh, drummer, you know, Simon the drummer. Sure, he's I think, been he, on our show. I think he was a big part of the lyrical part of that particular song as well, if I remember rightly. But yeah, it's fun. It's a fun record. And we've just done it a couple of times, four or five times in Europe. And what's nice, instead of rolling thunder for three hours for the four piece, we get to kind of um, dynamically sort of get a bit kind of intimate sometimes, you know, and, and just because it's a slow song, people don't go, oh, God, we can't dance to this four-piece funk. It's not about people are really loving it, do you know what I mean? And they kind of swear with us with the slow stuff, and they're listening to the words, but then we all get heavy again, so they know it's going to come back. From yeah. a stretching perspective, that really started when you came to the States. Um, so, massively. So when you go back to Europe these days, to what extent yeah. are you following your ethos, uh, your yeah. American ethos, and to what extent are you going back to your more song-oriented? Well, we can't really go back because um, back in those days you're talking about, we, we, were kind of, we would do five-minute songs all the time, but we had so many songs, so many tunes. We could do five-minute tunes all day long, you know. But coming to America uh, years ago and then opening for Carl Denson for like a couple of weeks... And we'd, these big theatres, and we'd come out, man, and we'd play to like 50 people on a, like a three week tour. It's quite, we'd be thinking, what, what are we wasting our time for? Then Carl would come on and do three sets to a packed house night after night. And it was just like, how do these guys do that? And what it is, is they just jam, they stretch out. So we started doing that. I mean, we're packing out all this, we've been packing out the same theatres now for some years, or, you know, but, but like you said, musically, we are a different band because we, we can. I mean, it's like the fans allow us to, they expect us to jam sure. in America. But that's, that's not the same in Europe, man. They're quite, you do your bit, then get the DJ on. <laughs> you know? So, but today they're more, they're more receptive of it in Europe? Uh, yeah, but not so much the jam, the long... Still? I don't. So you have to adjust. When you go play Europe today, you have to adjust. Yeah, because they know us, the spots that we play, we can do anything we want anyway, do you know, to a degree. But we couldn't just do like endless... Because the thing is, the sets are not as long neither. So if you were jamming too much, you won't be able to play all your songs. Because like here, we can do a two and a half, three hour set in America with encores very easily. Yeah. Where over there, you'll play one hour, then another hour, and then that's it. You know, there's none of this over. Like in New Orleans, you've seen us there, we can play till 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Right. And everybody's just bringing you tequilas on the stage. Come on, man, they want it to keep going. That doesn't really happen over there. <laughs> you've done a lot of great theme nights in New Orleans. Yeah, we have. Haven't we? One of my favorite ones, I have to say, is when we did it with Art Neville. And, um, God bless his soul. The, yeah, God bless his soul. I love the righteous man, that guy. Um, and they, made, they did me out to be um, from the A-team, Baracus. <laughs> with all my jewelry on. Yeah, I wow. love that. <laughs> I've still got a picture of that somewhere. So who yeah. comes up with the themes? From them? Are they generally sourced by the people booking the shows? Or do you guys ever come and say, hey, we want to do this and then... Um, I think that one. I think that one. We dis we discussed that ourselves. I believe the A team one because it just suited us all. <laughs> we fell into place for the four piece, and uh, yeah. And generally, I think Eddie has a, Eddie kind of like says, "No, what we're going to do this year, you know?" And like we do like the girl vocal one we did a couple of years ago, all girls, you know. And then he kind of like keeps it interesting like that. Yeah. 
because they're long shows in, at Jazz Fest and they're both late nights, you know, you've got to bring it, man. You know what I mean? You can't just go timber around. you just got to bring it. But I like, I like changing it up in Jazz Fest. It's the only place in America where we do that kind of stuff. Right. We, we, you know, we don't have the freedom to do that anywhere else, only at Jazz Fest. Which is what are some of your other favorite theme one things that you've done? Themes one. Yeah. Well, I like I liked the the um, the soul one where we got all the I forgot what the name of it was like Queens of Soul or something like that. That was so down my street. Oh know? yeah, and you had guests guests coming in, right? Loads of them. Yeah, like loads of girl singers were all coming up. Some a couple of them I haven't even I didn't even know some of them, but I, Kim Dawson she did some, and um, you know the girl from uh, she sings in Matador as well. Um, oh, I forgot the band that she's with. I can't remember her name right now, but there's loads of... The, it was such a... I felt... And the, and the material that they were, that was you know, a bit of track account, a bit of stuff that you just never get a chance to play, but doing it with people that are singing it right, that's a big deal, man. You know what I mean? It feels, it feels righteous, man, that it, when it's happening. Even for me, I've been doing it for so long now, you know. It's, and having Lamar as well, it's just nice for me. It's keeping it a bit interesting for me because I've been like... You know, the band's been together a long time and we've been slogging it out around. It's nice to just be able to... I don't know, people are sort of coming to us now a little bit. And, you know, it's nice, man. It's do this, do that. Yeah. And, um, and we're humble. You know, we're not all like rock stars. It's not about that, man. We just, it's, about the, it's totally about the music. You know, if the, if, the, if the music's not feeling right or anything, then none of it, nothing, all this, nothing makes sense if we're not playing really r- right together or the gigs are not really happening. Because we if they weren't, we wouldn't do it. That's where we're all at now. We're all kind of like a bit touchy old men now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I know but, the record's great, but I haven't heard your live shows. How is this material fitting in with your man, other material? I've got to tell you, and this is the first ever as well in all the years that we've been together. We just did two, uh, London and Leeds, and we decided, to, we, we had a horn section over there. We decided to play the album as the album, one after the other, which we what? never do. Oh, wow. Oh, you man. did that at Leeds? Uh, London and Leeds. Okay. London and you know what, man? We're a bit like, are you sure that's going to work? And it was just like, so we knocked out an hour of four-piece stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff, which... which which uh, made our fans like us in the first. So you've got to give it to them. You've got to say, no, it's just this now. I don't believe in that. You've got to give them what they like as well. But then they stuck with us to see where we wanted to go for another hour with, with our album. And we said, this is our new album. We just played the album, 11 tracks back to back. And it was such a joy. I loved it, man. Yeah, I felt like, a, you know, it feels like you're part of a different type of band, you know what I mean? Because lyrics mean something. Absolutely. You know, and you can, when it's married with good music, it's just there's nothing better. Did he? Yeah. There's three instrumentals, right? Mm. Did he get sent those and choose and opt not? No, it, no, because the writing situation was so kind of. Simon wasn't over for the first part. He was in England still, so Eddie was in the studio on kind of like on drums, <laughs> and we were just kind of making grooves up, kind of like you know. Yeah. And it was, the writing process was in a few days for the whole album. We were getting so much stuff done. It That's was great. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's quite. When you, think, when you look back to it, it's quite stressful, but at the time it doesn't feel stressful. But when you think back, you go, bloody, how the hell do we do that again in a week? But at the time, you're in a different headspace, with us four anyway, the way we work. And so, it, we always get there in the end. <laughs> always get there in the end. But I know there's a lot of variables involved in the answer to this question, but what are the chances you'll do another album with Lamar and follow the same... And, what it, and to what extent, maybe go question. back to traditional master sounds and then do it? Or Yeah, well, I mean, I can speak from my point of view. Yeah. I'd like very much to keep it as a band with a singer, man. I'm just really, uh, we're all, and he slots in so well, does Lamar. He's so musical. He doesn't, it's not like he has to try and work everything out. He's straight in. His voice is an instrument, you know, and he listens. He's got perfect pitch. 
He's just a cool dude, man. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to try and keep that going. For, I'd like another, it's not, instead of just one year of this, I'd maybe like to do another year, maybe try and bring another, another album out. Although he is working on a solo album as well at the moment. But he's a classic sound without sounding derivative of any particular soul singer. Sorry? He has a very classic soul oh, sound, yes, yeah. but he doesn't sound too much like any... It no. doesn't remind me, oh, boy, he's like a this or a that. No. There's the odd little thing he does where I kind of get a little bit of Marvin Gaye now and then, or oh, I really? get a little bit of something. But like you said, it's not just, oh, he reminds me of James Brett or something like that. It's not that kind of thing, is it? Which I'm quite glad about as well, you know. But having him in tow, does that give you, tickle your brain for a future New Orleans uh, theme set? Where yeah, he's featured? Because we've never done Jazz Fest with him, have we? We've, no, we've, yeah, but I mean, you know, the late night side. I know, but, you should play the fairgrounds. That is a, that is, I've been saying that. You absolutely should get a fairground set. Do we, I, don't know how, I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> I don't know. You've been doing so well for so long at late um, night there. I don't know why you haven't been invited. Maybe it's a Brit thing. Maybe they just don't want Brits. Oh, mind <laughs> you, no, they got the Rolling Stones there, didn't they, a while ago? Oh, they cancelled them, didn't they? They were Brits. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah. 
Was it about your bass playing style that caused pressure on your back and created the, the uh, situation that you were in and that you lived with and played with for a while? I oh, know, it's very sad when you think of it. But um, I guess it's, um, you could put it down to bad technique, if I'm going to be really open about it. Posture or technique? Uh, technique, really. But, yeah, cause, it's about how you held your arm. Yeah. And it's because I've always, um, that bass... I've got a new bass now, but the bass I've just, that I had through all that time, I played the same bass for 28 years. And you tried a lighter one. I, I've got one now. I've oh, actually, you stayed with it? Because when, when you were here, you were going back and forth on it a year ago. Yeah, I didn't feel comfortable with it. I was a bit nervous, you know what I mean? But I've been on it 100% now. I've got it dialed in. And what I've done is I've got the setup. I use very heavy strings, flat wounds. It's like, almost like an upright bass strings that I have on that thing. And for some reason, I'm quite physical when I play. And I need, a, I need my action to be high. So I need the bass to resist me a bit kind of thing so I can get my groove on it sounds really silly that but of magazines in Japan I'd explain the same thing to them you know what I mean but it's the truth and I need a bit of resistance I've always thought I've needed that and then because of the the heavy strings and that high action and the weight the, the you know the physicality of playing the thing and the weight of the bass it was a 1972 P bass just one solid piece of wood and Something was going wrong. I was getting some pains around my chest and my hand was going numb and I'd just shoot a few more tequilas and I'd say, yeah, let's get on with it. Do you know? And then I'd come up to the point, man. It's like, no, something's got to happen here because... Let's, sorry. Give, let's give credit where credit's due. Your daughter? Oh, my God, yeah. You know, she was just... She, she basically saw me through it, you know. She just, Dad, you can do it. You can do it. I was, I was scared. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it, man. I was nervous to, to be cut open. I've never had an operation before. And she said, Dad, you can do it. You can get through it. And my girlfriend who's in Denver, she's young, quite younger than me. And she sort of, her and her mum sort of glad-handed me to the, to, to the Aurora Hospital. And he had one look at me and did some kind of MS. And I asked him, he said, look, I only do this operation three times a year. And next Thursday is one of them. But you're going to have to, you need the money, like 45 grand or wherever it was. And I was just like, and he looked at me and he said, I don't understand how you're still managing to hold, a, hold anything because my left side has shut down. And a couple of times I thought I was having some kind of heart attack kind of thing. And what it was, the dust from my C7, which had collapsed, the bone had collapsed, and the dust had spreckled all over me. And the operation was four hours, four and a half hours long, sewing my thing, and then another hour picking bits of dust out. And I've got to tell you, hmm. I've not, I've, I even work out again. I've got a 10-year-old boy in Spain who's a great soccer player. I play with him, I throw him around, and I'm not... And for about six months after the operation, I was still a bit scared to really let it go. Because I've been living with the pain for like four or five years. And I was a bit sort of nervous to let it go, thinking, oh, it's going to snap again or something. And you know what, man? It's just got stronger and stronger to the point... I'm working out now like I did when I was 30 or 40. I'm 58 now. And I'm, I mean, I feel... Like there's nothing else wrong with me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, touch wood. I might be able to stay healthy for the rest of my days. But I tell you what, I understand that when people say, yeah, I'm going for this surgery, I'm going for, I always say, yeah, whatever. Man, it's just a different thing, isn't it? Because you're out. And I woke up feeling so happy from the operation that I didn't realize I'd had the operation. I mean, that was a feeling within itself. But, he said the, but the next day he said to me, you're going to feel like somebody's been inside you or something from the back because they, they had to peg my tendons to one side to do the operation. And man, the next day when all the painkillers wore off, 
All I can say is that I just felt like somebody had opened my back with their hands and put their fingers in, and it felt like I felt violated, but in my back <laughs> for about a week. It was a really strange feeling. But within three and a half weeks, I was gigging again in, in Italy with the band. Amazing. So. Yeah, but I'm, let's not gloss over this because for the rest of my life I'll be telling the story because you had four or five days to raise the money. Yeah. And by the way, this is the oh, week man. of the eclipse. Was it? Yeah. So that's dominating social media, and you guys put it out there, and it's still. Eddie says, like in one night, you raised the third of it. And then within yeah. two days, the, your fans had stepped up a few. I mean, that's a lot well, bigger than buying CDs and going to man, shows. Man, I've got to tell you, I've never been in through anything like this in my life before, and it was such a humbling scenario. And, uh, and I don't do social network. Uh, I don't do any social network. I never have done, you know. But my girlfriend does in Denver, and she was pointing out these things to me. She said, look, over, over, like you said, over the first night, and there were so much thousands raised. But then she, she highlighted the things for me to read from fans, you know, like messages to me and stuff, which I've never done before. I've never read things like my messages. And there was like hundreds of them, literally. And there was all this, all talking to me, saying, oh, we need what you do. And I'm thinking, fuck, you know, because you get so wrapped up in what you're doing. You don't, you can't, it's hard to look at it from the other perspective of the love, basically. And I've got a couple of friends, I mean, literally, one of them's a billionaire, do you know what I mean? And they would have just like, up front, bam, that. And he, he, he hit me up, Pete, what do you need? And I was like, I said, you know what, man, Jeff? I think you should just back off, man, really, because it was coming in in five euros, five dollars here, ten dollars there. But it was the love that was coming with it. And I thought if that just gets paid by one guy now, that it's almost like I'm stopping them loving us. I don't know. It was a weird scenario. Well, so, and also you're beholden when it's one person. You're sort of in a way beholden yeah. to that. And you know what? Everywhere I go, even to this day, everywhere, it was more intense for the first few months afterwards when I got back on tour in America. And everybody's, hey, man, how you... How, how you do every so the whole of the country, you know, all the country, people here who like our band, all the thousands of people, all that time they were thinking about how I'm doing, you know, sending me messages and stuff. I mean, it's really, it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's kind of a beautiful thing, you know, because all I do is play bass. Do you know what I mean? That's that's what I think. I and I leave my home, I leave my family, you know, everybody, not just me, we all do. But you, leave, you know, I don't just suddenly appear here and I do this. I, I also got a life when I don't do this, which I like. I like my life when I'm not doing sure. it. But, um, but when you feel that kind of stuff coming from real people, young and old, and if you're not humbled by that, you want to get out of the game, you know what I mean? Because, man, it's kept, it's, it's focused me, it's, I've cleaned my whole life up. It's not just that, everything's cleaned up. I'm, I take it easy on everything now. You know, and I'm, I'm in a much better place, man, I've got to say. And, and I keep saying, I thank people on the gigs, uh, you know, some of the bigger shows we did. I'd go to the mic and I would just, and they'd say, hey, Pete, hey, Pete. And I'd just say, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm doing fine because of you guys. And everybody would go, yeah, <laughs> you know. It's a real feeling you feel with people, you know. Yeah, it's a real thing, man. Well, you're making it worth their investment because you're taking such good care of yourself yeah. and i understand stretching and eating healthy when you're not on the road yeah. is okay to do but how about when you're on the road like how do you when the, like the band goes out to dinner yeah at some mexican place or whatever how are you well, you ask, have this ask these guys because they know what i'm like anyway i've been like this for years i kind of I, i'm kind of a vegetarian although i eat a bit of fish sometimes stuff like that and at one point my daughter got me to be vegan just to clean everything out and it's, I can eat anything. I'm very simple. I can, as long as there's a bowl of rice and some salad or some beans and rice or some potatoes and some carrot, I, I can eat, honestly, I don't, but I don't eat big steaks and burgers and fill myself full. I just, I don't do that. And I generally eat one meal a day. And I have done since I was a kid because that's all we could have. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Leeds. 
um, in a Jamaican neighborhood, and my father's Jamaican, and my mother's from Israel. Oh, wow. So I guess I'm Jewish, but I was raised Jamaican. <laughs> yeah. And, but um, that was in the 50s when, I, when my dad came from Jamaica. And the funny thing was, was very, I was brought up quite Pentecostal, you know, Jamaican Pentecostal church. And that's where I started playing. But we all went to play. I was a drummer first, and then a guitarist, and then I sort of got to the bass. And the bass in the church only had three strings on for like many years. And I kept picking it up and like working this stuff out. And I'll tell you a story. My sister at the time used to work in a supermarket. This is like 1978 or 77 or something like that. And in those days, in the supermarket, they would have a record shop. Vinyl, so I, and there's a magazine called Blues and Soul, which have just given us a great write-up for our album, by the way. The same magazine, and my sister. Oh, the I, new, the new record. Yeah. Oh, cool. And there was no internet in them days, so I used to go to my sister's shop, and I'd look at all these like Parliament, James Brown, Monsieur Parker, um, Commodore, uh, any all the black music. Um, a lot of them are my friends now. I've, met, I've, reco- I've played with them all all these years later. I've got all the numbers in my phone. They're all my friends. But I used to look at the pictures, and then my, do- my sister would get the vinyl. I could sneak it into my house when my dad went to prayer meeting on a Monday night and I'd have the, big, the bass guitar from church with three strings on and I was just ripping off all this that's, I was like a teenager and that's when I was learning basically funk black music from America it's, this is where it comes from man what was some of your early what, were the meters part of that or was that yeah like, the meters was sure yeah I, so I knew about the meters but I mean it's hard for me to think of them now because they're such good friends but in the day Josh Potter and I, I say this to Josh Potter I tell him I said dude Man, I used to learn your stuff inside out, and he's looking at me like, I said, no, dude. I even used to learn the mistakes. I learned everything. You're my, you were my hero. And he's just laughing at me, you know. And um, George Clinton, a good friend of mine, Purdy, some, loads of those old dudes. And, you know, they're, you know, they're all doing it and smiling at 80-something years old. That makes you just, you know, we, we complain, you know, but, oh, it's getting a bit old for this. You look at these dudes. And the thing is, it's the happiness and the joy that they're playing with. And they're not all getting hammered and wasted. You know, we, we thought, cause you know, everybody, every pro musician goes through a period of their life where sure. you think, you have to do that to get by. I've done it myself. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I don't well, Yeah, you were a fitness instructor, and then you had the surgery. There were days between. Uh, I partied you. with you at Bear Creek. I don't want to give <laughs> tell tales out of school. You've just mentioned the one word there, Bear Creek, so you don't have to say anything else. So you do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you do too well. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's great. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel blessed to be able to come to a country and um, play music our own music, you know, and, and then also be liked, to be liked and to rub shoulders with my heroes. That's, that's my quiet thing that really gets me. I don't stay to everybody, obviously, but it's my quiet, like, hi. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't believe. You know, I stayed in the, I stayed in the same hotel rooms as Purdy and all. We hung out like he's my dad and stuff. But really, he's just a great drummer. Still is. Always will be, you know. But they guys play till they're 80, 90 years old. I don't know if I'm going to do that. That's the truth. I don't know if I physically want to do, want to do that. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think... I can't see myself being that guy at 80 years old. Maybe I might be. But, I mean, I've, right now I don't feel like I, like I will be that guy. I write a lot of music and publishing. I live a lot from publishing, you know, other stuff. Um, so it's, but it's not... So I'm living all right. It's not just about the money. It's about how long do I want to feel... Because really, the whole thing in my life that keeps me driving is people say, saying that I can play the bass still. I'm, that I can't, I'm self-taught, completely self-taught. And when I find myself in some situations, I'm like, wow, I must be doing something right. I used to play in bluegrass bands, all, um, heavy metal bands before the master sounds, wow. really heavy metal, like nice. thrash metal, emo- emotional hooligan with my brothers. 
but, but, and I used to think, oh, it's all right, because we're just making that noise together. But now I've branched out into the world. If I play in a band, like a bluegrass band, or I sit in with all these bands around America, whatever I do, I want it, if it's a bluegrass groove, I want it to feel like a real good bluegrass groove. Or if it's a reggae groove, it's got to feel like that. Now, I don't care what the people are doing on the top. As long as it feels like that, I quietly feel kind of professional. That's what makes me feel a bit pro. The only thing, I'm like, and everybody likes it. Nobody's saying, oh, my God, that's great, but he doesn't know what... Because it's a fear that we have. I don't suppose a lot of guys are going to tell you that. But I come so prepared for my job. I'm really prepared all the time because I'm playing with guys that are just monsters all the time. And they can play this stuff in their sleep, some of these guys, or they can write things down. But I can't, I can't read music and I can't write music. I never have been able to. So I've got to use my ears and get prepared, you know. And that is, that, and that is my job. Being on the stage is just, that's the joy. The preparation and the traveling is the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you think there's some subconscious having all that experience that, that makes... Uh, your bass approach appealing to fans of eclectic music and then why you, maybe part of why you do so well at festivals? Yeah, I mean, people have said that to me. You know, people, I find it a bit hard to see, it, to, to see it from their perspective. But there is something that we do. What was it somebody said to me? Um, he was quite a good bass player, this young dude. He said, you know what I like about you guys? It's, just, it's, like, it's like the groove... He said, it's like a carpet. It's, everything's just... Nothing stops, but then... And he said, you're all... It's, it, it's, it looks really uncomplicated. It said it sounds uncomplicated, and it's not complicated what we do. The complication comes in the discipline, right? Because you could, this, you know, you could play over so much stuff that we do and rip it to shreds. But the space, I said to some magazines, I say I don't play the bass, I play the space, <laughs> and it's true. If you can hold, if you've got the balls to just to hold the space, and whoever's whoever's you're playing with, if they're all like us guys, been together so long, we know each other intimately on stage. They don't fill all the stages, all the spaces. They just let it roll. And Bernard Purdy was good for that too. He, he was telling me about that. He said, yeah, you don't always have to drop in on everything. If you're going, doom, doom, wait for the backbeat. Have the bravery just to go, wait, the extra. And I think some of that timing you can't write down anyway. It's like a feel more of a writing thing, you know. So, yeah, man, that's the way it rolls. It's not rocket science. It's actually all quite simple stuff is the way I look at it. What are your biggest lingering memories of Art Neville? Oh, man. I've had a few. Well, I was the f- uh, I've got a photograph of Art, right, from, I think it was the second year when I first came to America. Um, at a festival, I don't know if it's High Sierra or something like that. And um, we were like, oh, my God, that's the dude from the, you know, from the meters. It was Art Neville, you know. And he sat on a, ca- a, ca- a cat. And I just thought, I'm going to have to go say hello to him. And I just walked up and said, oh, hi, man. I'm da 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 He said, yeah, said, sit down. And I sat down and I spoke to this guy. I was so thrilled. The guys at the band, Simon and them, were taking pictures of me and him, me and that. And then a few years later, we did that thing with him that I just said at um, uh, House of Blues, at the House of Blues it was, yeah, at Jazz Fest. And we did something else with him. Another, oh, on the, I think it was on the Jam Cruise thing. I, I got up. I don't know. I hadn't been to bed is what it was. And I'd wandered around for some breakfast. And he was just there at the back of the street, just looking out, having a cup of coffee or something. And I sidled up to him, you know. And he looked at me and he said, he said, hey, son, how you doing? I said, and I was all wasted in that, you know. And I looked at him, he was all fresh. And he said, I said this. and I sat down next to him. I said, oh, I'm all right, man. He said, man, you got to get some sleep. <laughs> That's the last thing he said to me. <laughs> but, you know, listen, we're, we're mild compared to some of these older cats. What they went through in the 50s, 60s and that, Right. It's just like, oh, and they still purvey this amazing music, you know what I mean? And they've still managed to live all them years, 
You know what I mean? I reckon if I had come into this when I was 20, where I'm at now, I might not have survived my crazy couple of years. You know? But it's great because you do come back to the music. And it's like, it all it started with the music and it finishes with the music now. It's like, if the gigs are not really, if I'm not feeling something right on there, then we have to address. It's like, it's all our own fault, basically. You can't blame anybody else now because we know we can make it work. The thing is, you can't get wasted all the time to make it work. You've got to stay pretty level-headed. And, you know, and the joy is watching it happening in the room. For me, you know, I'm getting older. I know I'm getting older. It sounds like I'm getting older. But I get a lot of joy in that. I mean, I don't know how much I can say on there, but, I, you know, I've got some weed. Right. That's basically my thing. Yeah. That's but it. your stretching's a big part of your regimen. When you're it on the road, go ahead. It is, yeah. You're dead right. That's where my daughter, who is, um, she's at university doing sports, nutrition, and science. She's a power lifter, my daughter. Wow. She's, yeah, she's amazing, honestly. And she's written me out this thing that I have to do when I'm at home, but I can take it on the road with a band. You know those huge bands? And I've got one, man. And I'll tell you, I could do it with you if you had half an hour, and I guarantee you tomorrow, every muscle in your body would be killing you, dude. And I'm doing it for half an hour a day on a band. I'm in the gym when I'm at home, but on the road I just use this band and there's like a dozen exercises you can do with it. That is just... Because I used to get cramp, cramp up and that and, and adjust myself all the time and I've got a slightly lighter base. It's more well-balanced. I'm, I'm actually quite free on the stage now. And, and I'm not like, oh, I better not, just, just in case that might go again. I've, 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 somebody said to me, I've got to accept my healing basically, because I was a bit nervous about accepting it. And they said, don't worry, it's not suddenly going to go again. But I was like, I just couldn't let myself go, you know. Whereas I got there in the end. Yeah, man. And it's, it's all, we're at the point now where the surgery, it, it, it's good to go. Massively. No yeah. potential of it. And, and no. adjusting to that base is a big part of that, right? Yes. That's why I had, to, I had to go for a new base eventually, which really broke my heart because I had that base for so long. But, you know, I think, I've did, I, think I made the right move. It's like three kilos lighter. And um, it packs more punch, actually. It's slightly more modern than my old base. But it's a similar sound. You know, I can get the same old P-base sound on it. Yeah. It, it's... Um, yeah, because I was a bit like, oh, God, old bass going to a modern thing. All the sounds are going to change. But all that's in your head, you know what I mean? It's kind of is. Because even the equipment, I've got, I've got a, an Aguilar small head, bass head that I've put in my suitcase. I fly all over the world with it. Before, I used to have those big Ampeg valve things that were just busting on every gig, stressing me up. And George Porter said, no, just get one of these. And I'm thinking, well, if George Porter can do that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, sure. Short is good enough for me. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Well, tell, talk about the two horn players you're playing with us with you tonight. Tonight, all right. So Jonathan, I don't. I, um, uh, the sax player is my first time at Jamal. The first time I've met him tonight. But Jonathan, the trombone guy from here, I've known he him. He sits for, in all the time. Yeah, and I've known him for many years. Lovely guy. He used to be. A, a, I remember his reggae band. He had a good reggae band some years ago. I don't know if he still has them. So I hit him up, literally less than a week ago, from Spain. And when I was in Spain, I said, "Oh, we haven't got the horn section on the Atlanta gig, and um, Lamar's from here." And yes. in, so we could play We're the, proud of that. Yeah. yeah, I bet you are. So we could play more of the album with the horns proper. So I, I just hit him up and I said, dude, if you just throw a bit of money or whatever, would you mind just learning some stuff? He said, yeah, I'll, learn, I'll, get a horn, I'll get a sax player. I said, oh, great. I said, well, just learn these three or four. And then a couple of days later, he said, hey, man. He said, I think we want to learn the whole album, man. You know, I said, <laughs> they're loving it, you know. And it's, uh, I said, dude, you're going to make us all very happy if you do, but I don't want to give you too much work because I know you've got this only a couple of days, you know. He said, no, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And I think they've done it. I think they've practically got the entire album down. So we're going to hear a bunch of the album tonight. Massively, dude. Oh, that's great. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And you still mix up the covers, all kinds of crazy. West Montgomery yeah. here, meters there. 
that it's, it's, it's always going to be that. We, and and it's, we can't just put, suddenly pull ourselves completely away from that and say, right, now with this band who just does vocal. It's not. We're always going to have to have, like I said earlier on, you'll hear it tonight, every single gig. And it depends what Eddie's thinking about sometimes. On the, on the stage, you might just want to pull something in. Or when he's do, Eddie does the set list, you might say, oh, let's try doing something like this tonight. Because it also keeps it fresh for us as well. You know, we've got such a, a large amount of songs we can play. It's nice being able to me- pull them around a bit, you know. Do you go back and listen to the recordings and, and, and analyze or maybe even find kernels of uh, potential stuff in the improv that you could turn into new songs? From live gigs? Yeah, your own, your own recordings. Do you ever listen to your own shows after the fact? No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, I really don't. I mean, Simon sort of sends us the odd little things sometimes. He goes, oh, my God, just listen to this. And I listen to, the, I listen to it, and, I, and it's good enough for me that, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, that is... Because at the time, you don't think it's happening as heavy as that, you know what I mean? But I have a little snippet of it. That's good enough. I can't listen to the whole thing because I'll start dissecting it and hating myself by the end of it, you know what I mean? You get too precious about thoughts. Yeah. Do you, do you think your ability to roll with things is one of the things that's great about you as a player? Like, let's just talk about this interview right here we came we're upstairs we don't have lights on the sun has set and now we're talking in the complete darkness and you don't seem phased at all i didn't even realize you know i didn't even realize it was that dark (laughs) (laughs) i've got to tell you though i'm slightly um it's it's thursday today now on tuesday i flew from menorca to madrid i live in menorca an island off of spain that must be beautiful it's amazing man a lovely island from there to madrid madrid to dallas dallas to denver right and then I stayed in Denver for a day and a half, and today I flew from Denver to Dallas, Dallas to Atlanta. So I'm a little bit slightly jet-lagged, and, uh, you know, so that's probably why I didn't realize we were sat in the dark. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've ever had to roll with on stage while performing? Oh, can I really go there with that one? I mean, there's a couple, but, um, it's, yeah. Well, one, there was one time, right, there was, a, uh, there was a girl, and she had a massive inflatable penis. And I mean, it was huge. A bachelorette party, I imagine? No, it was, I'm sure it was something like Bear Creek. Or, or just an like enthusiast. That. Yeah. And she came on the stage with this strap on. It was huge, though, like that. Oh, Probably my her. goodness. Just, like, try to give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's mostly, yeah, another time turning around and some girls that were dancing on the stage. And they, they were all just, like, topless there. And I just looked at Sai. I'm like... But nobody was looking. It was just like, no, this is all part of the fun. But then we had to start learning. In America, this shit happens. We, did a couple, we played at a frat party once. Yeah, and I've never, I didn't even know what a frat party was. Sounds was, awful already. <laughs> and what we saw in our dressing room haunts me to this day. But, but it's like, people say, no, this is the way they do it, dude. This is how they hang. I was like, oh, my God, they're kids. <laughs> but what they were doing was just mind-blowing. But it's all crazy stuff happens all the time, doesn't it, on stage and stuff. But, well, doors yeah. are about to open. You probably got to get something to eat. I really appreciate your um, time. Oh, man, I want to talk to you guys again, man. No problem. And my, usually my co-host is here, Seth Weiner, but this is Ira Gross. He, is t- he has recorded you in New Orleans so many times. I've seen this guy before, yeah. I've seen him before, He's man. He's a great documenter of music, and you guys are always generous in the loud taping, and he, he always gets the recordings back in the musician's hands. You do? Oh, brilliant. I'd like my daughter to hear it. I'd like my daughter to hear it. Yeah, it'd be great, yeah. Thank you for your time. No, my pleasure, man. Great. Thank you. Here comes all the hiccups and people. Too much fun and shame Don't shoulder any blame Been thinking on my life For so much time I've been putting up a fight For so much time Well, it's too late to worry Oh, 
that was Pete Shand. We were in the dark. And, uh, Very grateful dead of you. He wasn't phased. He just kind of rolled with it. He is such an amazing, cool, wonderful, sincere, personable, genuine guy. And I want to said hi. I want to meet his daughter. As we learned, she uh, really pushed him to get the medical help he needed. God bless you. For real. And also for all his fans that stepped up to the plate. You hear horns on this. All this music is from Terminal West, the Terminal West performance this past fall, 2019. That's Jamal Mitchell on sax and our boy, Jonathan Lloyd, on trombone. Lloyd. You know Jonathan really well, right? of course. I mean, I wouldn't We go back, but we don't... He's one of those cats that I see where we're always like, oh, we got to hang out, and then we never do. But he said he listened to the show, so thank yeah, you. Well, thank you, probably hear for this. listening. Um, Shake It is the CD. Newmastersounds.com is the... CD or album? Not album. CD or record. Why would you use album ever? I, I saw you change one of my things in the notes to album. That's, that's the outdated term. Record is a, it is a record of where people are at. It is a recording. Record is the more timeless term. Yeah, album CD, is CDs are. When's the last time? Well, you're weird. You're you're probably you're like in my car. Probably, you probably are just getting into CDs now since you're releasing all your. Tapes. Actually, no. Now that's now that you be. I was on the cutting edge of CDs back in college in '85. My, my, but that was because my roommate Guy Tropiano. <clears throat> I remember we used to crank Still Life talking by Pat Metheny and David Bowie and oh the the Who. The deep tracks of The Who. Oh, my gosh. I, I loved CDs. Oh, Joshua Tree came out. I remember the day Joshua Tree came out. I remember out. that, actually. Oh, we cranked it. And CDs just it seemed so amazing at the time. And, and now, as time has gone by, though, and I go through my collection and I have the CDs and the cassettes, I'm more likely to put on a CD that doesn't work than put on a cassette that doesn't work. Well, it's easier. No, the CDs were supposed to be an update on, and, and a better kept. Right. Oh, you're saying the CDs don't work more likely than the... Yeah, well, right. you're right. Yeah, they, they, they scratched easily. Right. It's kind of kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Well, so a lot of Rob on this episode. So how about enough of me? And let's talk about where Seth was, because last summer, of course, we have the tragedy of mandolinist, uh, songwriter... Best buddy of our boy, Brendan Bayless, Mr. Uh, Jeff Austin, passed away. And uh, there was a nice tribute to him, and Seth was flown out there to bring his... That, that's how good Seth is, people. He was flown to Colorado. Of all the auctioneers in the world, there's only one that's your auctioneer, and that's why Seth was flown to Colorado. Seth, talk to us about your experience at the Jeff Austin tribute. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, what amazing, amazing event that was. Uh, the musicians that were that they assembled on that Monday, uh, I mean, obviously you had Green Sky Bluegrass, you had Uncle Sam, you know, Sam Bush there, uh, Billy Strings, I mean, the Yonder, of course, and infamous String Dusters and railroad members of Railroad Earth. And did you um, call leftover Sam? Sam and, did you call him the grandfather of bluegrass? No, but his Again. wife. Oh my God, she and I. She's such a. She's so fun. And she's, she's awesome. She I, was. Uh, we were. We we talked a bunch. I'll talked bet. a bunch she's and really she, sweet yeah she uh we we we, we joked about that though <laughs> oh she brought it up yeah <laughs> she liked my introduction she said that yeah so the, just to paint the picture though the show is originally going to be at the mission ballroom and it sold out so quickly that they moved it to the first bank the proceeds were going to jeff austin's family uh and there was an auction that was uh, there that night as well, um, a silent auction with uh, which was 
which I was involved with, so uh, as, as well as Conscious Alliance. What sort of things were they auctioning off? Oh, man, uh, a banjo, a guitar signed by the artist, uh, all sorts of different p- photos, and you know, all the bands contributed stuff like uh, experiences, like people won um, not just going to an upfree show, but uh, a meet and greet, uh, dinner with a band for another band, like all sorts of things like that, really, really cool stuff. So you had memorabilia, but you also had experiences. Um, and so, and this was also a sweet relief was the organization, uh, the nonprofit organization that's raising the money for the Austin family. And so the money from the ticket sales, the money from the auction, et cetera. So we went on stage and plugged it. I got to tell you, we had over a thousand people register. Now the, the venue only holds 6,000 something people, beautiful place. First bank center. If you've never been, it's in between Denver and Boulder. Really Awesome. Uh, awesome venue. It's an AEG venue. So it's like all about the artists. Super, super cozy, super comfy. The backstage scene was just all love. I mean, you know, these guys all, you know, we talk about this on the show, right? The camaraderie about the, especially this scene. They're, they go to Winter Wondergrass. They go to Strings and Soul. They go to, you name it, right? There's like how many of these festivals? Aiken Bluegrass. You got, you know, Green Sky's got their own show uh, festival. So the, all these festivals where these musicians are gathering, they, it is such a familiar vibe. I mean, they, familial. Familial, thank you. Uh, they, the, the, and the, you know, everyone was there to honor, Jeff and Backline was there backstage uh, launching the organization that's there, oh. which is uh, just tell you briefly about Backline. Yes. Backline is uh, a newly newly started mental health network, if you will, that's helping artists and not just artists, but all of the people backstage. So it could be an a tour manager. It could be an artist. It could be the, the promoter. I mean, you name it. So the person that works catering, I mean, anyone that's in the music industry that needs a little help, they're helping, uh, connecting them with therapists, just like Nucci's we were talking about in the beginning of the show, sure. uh, helping them, you know, so there's no cost to them. And it's, a, a, and there's, a, and it's a, you know, the organization's just starting. So we're going to see a lot more uh, come of this as, it, as they continue to get themselves out there. But this was a big launch for them backstage to get the branding out there and also the stats, like since they went live. They've helped. They've been able to help a lot of people, a lot of uh, touring. Like I said, tour managers, not just artists, that are being able to pick up the phone and and have someone to talk to, connecting them with proper therapy. So, um, so that yeah, it was just a beautiful night musically. I mean, I was working, so I missed a lot of the music, and also I had to leave at eleven thirty. Oh, yeah, catch a one a.m. flight, so I had to miss that 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 picking session encore, which was. Uh, uh, I did look up, but uh, there was some. There was definitely a lot of moments for me. You know, I love my Humphreys, particularly Brendan Bayless. The fact that he came out with Nick Forster and and Cody Dickinson is huge to me. I can't wait to hear that. I'm sorry, I haven't heard this yet. I've been crazy busy with podcast stuff, but did a couple songs. Uh, uh, folks, if you don't know, Nick Forster's not only the host of E Town, but he was in Hot Rise with Tim O'Brien. I didn't realize that, but that makes so much sense now. So to, I mean. <sighs> Let's have that be a little collaboration. Brendan and Cody and, and Nick, <laughs> I'd like to hear more of that. A lot of our former guests, you know, Green Sky Bluegrass out there uh, covering Benny Burrow Galloway's To Say Goodbye, To Be Forgiven. I'd, I, I'd like to hear that. Um, Vince Herman was all over it, right? Yeah. The uh, infamous String Dusters were all over it, doing wonderful stuff. Um, Mimi. 
I love you, Mimi. Yes. Of we fruition. didn't have fruition, but we had Mimi. She flew out just for it. Yes. And her manager, Josh, was there as well. Josh, who we worked with on the, the Lucky fruition. man. Movies. Yep. Good man. She was joined uh, by Noam Pickleney, Travis Book, and Nick Forrester. That must have been pretty cool. Um, the the flow between see like you're mentioning all this now imagine this all in one night though folks okay you're talking about like a full day of sound checks artists coming in and out on and off the stage and then the the amount of work that the you know the engineers did to produce this show uh, I mean you got you're talking about a lot of set changes a lot of different people on mics a lot of different inputs uh, and yes okay so it's they're plugging in a guitar but. Each guitar is a little different, the way that they play it, the levels. So there's a lot of work that went into it. Uh, i got to give a lot of credit to all the engineers there. They And they were not grumpy production people. They were so positive about the whole situation. It was really, really refreshing to see that. Sarah Hagerman at Jam Bass did a wonderful job recapping this show. Um, and that's very significant to me because not everybody got to go. So a no, lot of, no, a lot of people, this is what this will be their experience of it. And she really put her heart and soul into a thorough interview. Just one quick little uh, part of it. The duo of Billy Strings and Brian Sutton. Brian Sutton's an amazing uh, guitarist who replaced uh, uh, Tony Rice when Bella Fleck Bluegrass Sessions came here. They offered up That's Where I Belong, which served as a nice compliment to the Traveling McCoys passing through. Both, Both songs speaking to our own temporary constantly restless human nature. Redwood Earth then brought the second set to a close, filling what the night brings with energetic light, especially in a Tim Carbone led jam. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful nice event. Write. It was called That's nice writing, night. Sarah. Sorry. Yes, you know, go ahead. No, that's it. I just wanted to point that out. That was very nice writing. So I mean I wish I could have been there, Seth. That sounds like something really, really special. See now, a couple of the artists though, not just I mean even a. Uh, Yes, several people were like, they saw me back there, and they're like, "Oh, you guys recording?" And I'm like, "No, I'm here." You know, wearing. Once I put on my jacket, they're like, "Oh, your auctioneer's here." You know, but that's uh, why you, you folks, you event people, you have both of us here. You have Seth to do the auctioneer stuff, and then you have me to watch the event and take notes and do a more coherent review than we're doing right here. We're doing sort of a scattered review because I wasn't there and Seth was just busy, slammed. Yeah. Well, at the end, we raised over thirty thousand dollars. Well done, with Seth. the auction. Excellent. Now, that's just a slither of it, if you think about but that's the ticket for whom? sales. Who gets that money? Uh, Jeff Austin's family. Good. His kids. Yes. I mean, that right there is like, you know, a college education. His mom was unable to attend, but Brendan Bayless read a, a letter from her that I guess was one of the most moving moments of the night. So I saw Brendan there. We chatted for a minute, and I was, like, uh, talking about how good he was on the uh, Osiris podcast the other day, and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, you were in Charleston, no, you were in Philly, and you sat, I'm going through the whole thing, and then he just looks at me, and he's like, oh, yeah, and then he walks away, and I'm That's like. That's an industry moment. You just bullshitted each other. That's industry people, being industry people. <laughs> exact- I'm like, wait a second, he wasn't on that podcast. The exact music industry douche stuff I love to make fun of on the show. You guys both did. Well done. Well, there you have it. But What the Night Brings, amazing night. The amount of love is just untouchable, and. If you're out there and in need of help, let's not end the way Jeff did. If Get you, some help. If he thinks you confused him with Joel, he's probably still pissed at you. Now you just you started a feud. Thanks, bro. This is a Bayless one. Don't confuse any member of the band with Joel of all. They were wearing masks in the interview. Oh, that's your... 
I don't know. I'm not on Facebook. I can't. I can't get it. No, you're on Twitter, and you can uh, you can find Rob on Twitter at R S Turner. R S T N E R. R S T N E R. And the Which show Inside Out. Inside Out. What is WTNS. it? WTNS. Inside Out. WTNS. Oh, right. Fucking idiot. <laughs> oh my god. I forgot. Put the pipe down, sir. Hey, I got 200 more followers than the show does. Yeah, well, you're active on Twitter. Yeah, you won't let me be active on the show because you're Well, worried. no, because you like you tweet about like, oh, someone sneezed. Tonight. Look at this bugger came out of his nose. <laughs> Sounds like something you'd say. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please go ahead and uh, like us on whatever and, you know, whatever. Shout whatever. out from the mountaintops. How about a review on iTunes? If you listen to the show, you know, we're not asking you for any money. If you're actually under, first of all, thank you. But, you know, maybe give that's the whole thing about podcasts. You give back a little and, and even just writing review, telling a few friends. I mean, I've got friends that I talk to and then I'll meet friends of theirs who are really into music and really into artists that we have. And they don't even know we have a podcast. So, I mean, it'd be really appreciated because even my closest friends aren't doing this. So maybe the listeners will do this. Tell a friend, tell someone. Review on, on, on you know we're, we're not we, we don't have big money backing we have no money backing We've well got we have nothing. a little bit I don't want to say that because we do have a little bit of backing thanks to the support of Pole Pole Clark Pole Clark gives us some money basically to pay our expenses but we we um, we want to keep paying those expenses so we can keep doing the show and so Rob's got to eat I mean have you seen this guy Oh come on now I've been. I've been a little better lately, right? I'm glad your hat's not red. That's all I'm saying. Because you kind of look like right now you look very. Look at my Mike Watt shirt on for the Mike Watt interview. Ball hogger tugboat. Boy. Speaking of Mike well, Watt, we got to go because we're going to be late okay, for that interview. We'll end on Thanks, this. everyone. Ball hogger tugboat was his first solo tour. Mike Watt was in Minutemen and then Firehose. Then he did this tour with Eddie Vedder in the band. The opening, the opening band, the first band was Eddie with his then girlfriend Beth Vedder. I think it might have been wife called Hovercraft. Hovercraft. The middle band was Foo Fighters on their first ever tour. So that's why I saw Foo Fighters on their first tour. It was because of Mike Watt. And we got to go talk to him. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you here real soon. Here's some more new Master Sounds.
the trombone. Jamel on the tenor saxophone. Joseph on his technicolor keyboards. I'm Eddie Roberts. I'm the only one who has a last name. <laughs> no, he has one too. He has not just a last name, he has a junior on the end. Lamar Williams Jr. Give a big thanks to Star Kitchen for coming and having so much fun with us tonight. And thank you, of course, to all of you lot coming out on a Thursday night and supporting us. We're going to come over and sign some merch when we're done here. We got the new album that you've heard everything off it. So if you dig it, come on by and come say hi. I think we actually forgot to play the title track of the album. <laughs> we forgot to play Shake It. You want us to play Shake It? Sacrifice two virgins in the green room. Honestly, I didn't want to be interrupted. 
Players in the house. He's got his earplugs in, he can't even hear you. Shout Joe.
thank you so much for coming again. I guess we'll see you, you know, in about a year, unless you come somewhere else. Yeah.